Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. On the podcast, we seek to shine a light on positive progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer lots of ideas to help drive change. And today I'm joined by Charlotte Crosswell of Innovate Finance and Jeffrey Williams from Thomson Reuters. Charlotte Crosswell is the CEO of Innovate Finance, the independent not-for-profit membership association representing the UK's fintech industry. She has spent most of her financial services career in market infrastructure roles, most recently as CEO of Nasdaq NLX, a London-based startup derivatives market, and on the board of LCH Limited. She has held a number of management positions at NASDAQ and the London Stock Exchange and sits on the board of technology and fintech startups. It is no surprise that Charlotte has been lauded for her work and has been included in the list of top 100 women in finance for many years. Charlotte, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julia. Jeffrey Williams joined Thomson Reuters in 2008 in the intellectual property and science business and has moved around the organisation in many roles, including learning and development and talent. In 2013, Jeffrey joined the diversity and inclusion team and led Thomson Reuters to be awarded the accreditation of the National Equality Standard, supported by an external audit of the firm's DNI practices. He is the co-founder of Rocking Your Teens, a company seeking to connect teens to real-life business role models. And he is also the co-founder of One Umbrella Productions, a TV and film production company committed to telling stories about the value of diversity. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Julia. And at the top of each episode, as always, we invite our guests to take one minute to talk about what they're working on. Charlotte, let me turn to you. What, what are you focused on at the moment? Um, so I joined Innovate Finance nearly a year ago now um, and have been amazed at the strength of the fintech industry uh, in the UK and how much it's evolving financial services and how much it's bringing competition. You know, on our diversity programme, we do you know, significant amounts to try and promote women in fintech. You know, what's been a little bit surprising, we'll talk about this later, is just how few women there are in fintech. So this is something that obviously is one of the things at the top of my agenda is, yes, we want competition in financial services, but let's not make, let's make sure that we're also tapping into the absolutely amazing talent we see from some of the female founders out there. Jeffrey? Um, for me personally, I'm very much focused on inclusion at Thompson Reuters. So we kind of, we understand what diversity is and we're looking at how we can bring diverse people into our organization. And the main thing that I'm working on is how we make sure they feel included, connected to the business, but also connected to where we want to go with our customers and our clients to make sure that what we're delivering is the the right thing for those individuals that we're supporting. So we have a very much a focus on inclusion, the conversations that we can have around mental well-being, around being, you know, your true self in the work environment. What does that look like? But also then how do we work with each other respectfully in a way that is driving the business agenda so I think the core thing for us at Thompson Waiters is making sure that it's not that kind of warm fuzzy feeling of diversity and inclusion but also but it's about how we kind of really intrinsically work with our customers and grow our business. Great thank you very much for that and so, so let's start um, Charlotte um, so I mean you've held high office at one of the world's largest stock exchanges now CEO of the most influential financial bodies the, the voice of fintech if you like and skills and talent clearly are very high up on your agenda um and, and it, what, what something we talk about on the podcast a lot is how diversity inclusion has proven time and again to be a key contributor to performance and to success. Um, are we changing fast enough to maintain the dominant position? Bear in mind, you've got Brexit and everything else happening uh, in the background. Are we moving fast enough? Um, and I think we've made significant progress in having been you know, a... Uh what I don't like to be called myself, but a veteran of financial services before I made the uh, move to the light side of fintech is you know, 
I imagined, I think like many people would imagine that in a startup culture of fintech, you would see amazing diversity, whether that's you know, female diversity, whether it's BAME diversity. And what has been slightly shocking to me is that it's actually worse than financial services. And this is something we desperately need to address to ensure that we don't have the same mistakes maybe that we could say we've made in financial services. Now, why is that? The slightly cynical view is that people who wanted to go into fintech generally had reached the pinnacle of their careers uh, within financial services. You, even more cynical, maybe they'd made their money that they could risk doing a startup. And generally, people who'd made that a transition up to Exco level and within a financial services firm had then obviously become more male and deep and female. Um, so what's happened is we've seen we've seen those men come across and start their fintech companies. And quite shocking is the statistics. There's only 17% of fintech founders are women. Um, so I think we would ex- have expected to see that number change. Obviously, what fintech can do is offer potentially that slightly better cultural change, the work-life balance that you could say is more appealing to women. Um, and I really do think that there is an opportunity now for us to drive that diversity through and sit there and say, how can we make this more attractive? I think a lot of misperceptions that you have to be a coding or computer science graduate. You know, like any founder, you can, founders can come from many different backgrounds. It doesn't just have to be, obviously, from those really technical aspects where we have seen less women graduate. But, you know, let's push this out. Let's make sure we have fintech founders coming from the female side, coming from more diverse backgrounds and building those companies up so we can make this the pinnacle of success rather than following in the mistakes, potentially, of financial services. So if there are one or two compelling events or dynamics that were to change to attract more women into fintech what do you think there will be i think when we look at when we look at startup culture and let's move away slightly from fintech we look at tech or startup culture we could argue that women are slightly more risk averse I think that's something that most people would recognise and maybe have been a little bit more cautious, maybe lack self-confidence in can I be the one who can actually go and found a company? Do I have the audacity to sit there and go and harm other people? You know, do I believe in myself? You know, that's got to change, obviously. And I think as we've seen some of these amazing fintech founders, both male and female, people are sitting there looking at that going, I can do that. And look, this is why I can add value there. So I think it is about promoting you know, the amazing female founders out there. But it's not just the founders. It's the people down at the Exco level as well and sitting there saying, you can do this too. We've only still got a few women that we're pointing to. Um, certainly from an investment perspective, we are seeing the unconscious bias against you know, female founders. Um, so that, again, has to change as well. Um, but you know, one thing we've got to change is it, let's get those role models out there and let's make sure those role models aren't people who are sitting there, you know, like we saw in financial services, maybe, as I said, who, who have an army of childcare support and family support behind them, but people like you and I and sitting there and just doing this business day to day and making a great job of it. And, and the power of mentoring, we talk a lot about, sort of yeah. reverse mentoring within larger organizations like uh, like like Jeffries for example uh, are you are you seeing the industry step up and help mentor those female founders to to help support them in that journey we haven't seen so much mentoring um not as much as i like i think we could i think we could definitely look to financial services for some of those mentors there are some great female people working there sometimes unrecognized um and sharing their expertise you know, like anything, a startup is a lonely journey, whether you're male or female, and you constantly need to look to have more people guiding you. you know, sometimes these companies are starting with three or four people. Um, and again, this comes back to that female perspective of, you know, I haven't got anyone to ask, I need someone to bounce the ideas off. And so when we look to the banks, they are desperately trying to bring through cultural change into their banks. They want to move into fintech. They want to sit there and become innovators themselves. So we've got to do a better job of finding those mentors to go from banks 
to fintech and fintech back to banks to show them how you can innovate. And obviously, this is something that's going to play really well to the female agenda, but also to the male agenda too. And, and Jeffrey, this is probably a perfect time to come over to you because, you know, you sit on the larger organisations, you're not a bank, clearly, Thomas Reuters isn't, but a um, large financial institution that has a, has a deep heritage behind you as well. Um, and I'm thinking particularly, we talk a lot on the podcast about uh, diversity across its widest spectrum. And, and we talk a lot about ethnic minorities as well. From your perspective, you know, how much easier is it for BAME graduates now to come into an organisation like yours? Is that something you're thinking critically about? Or do you look at it as the diversity inclusion spectrum as a whole? So we look at it as the diversity and inclusion spectrum as a whole. I think, you know, for us, we made a conscious decision that we were going to find organisations that could support us to find diverse talent. So we partnered with Rare Recruitment, an agency that specialises in uh, diverse talent. And the reason why we did that was we understood that we were finding our organisation as a whole, as a brand, people know who we are. We are kind of a second job organisation, second to third job. So people kind of come here after they feel they've gained some experience. They feel that Thompson Reuters then could be their next step. And so as we looked at our graduate programmes and how we could strengthen them, we wanted to make sure that we were having a good representation of talent from all walks of life. So we made sure that we went out into the market and we found different people to partner with. So Rare was one of the organisations. We partnered with a few other people that specialised in disability. And it was really about making sure that the grads that we had coming into our organisation were kind of from all walks of life. Um, I think, you know, there was a lot of conversation about that. We had to kind of make sure that we communicated that to the business and got them to understand why we wanted to be able to make those changes in our recruitment pipeline. uh, You know, what do our customers currently look like? So it was a decision of us going more into, you know, diverse markets. So looking at Asia, looking at Africa, and kind of really making sure that we actually had people that represented those communities across the whole organisation. So to do that for our grad population, we felt that Rare would be able to support us. And we saw a shift. We saw a 40% change in the people coming into our organisation from a grad grad standpoint. And it really was um, also helping the organisation to see that that talent actually existed. Because a lot of time when you talk about being talent, or actually talent that is diverse over Overall, you hear the conversation of they don't exist, which is not necessarily the truth. It's that they're not choosing you as a place to go and work for because your brand, your story that you're telling externally, they can't see themselves. So I think, you know, the work that we did was definitely about making sure that people could see our colleagues that were diverse in the wider market, but also they could see themselves coming to work for us as an organisation. So, you know, I think there's still a lot of work to do around attracting BAME graduates. But I think for us as a business, we're on that journey and we're committed to making those necessary changes and or having those difficult conversations to adjust some of the things that we need to do internally. And one of the things that, that we talk about a lot is we've had other guests talk about as well is the, the organisational fit. And it's interesting you talk about, you know, we bring the talent through, so 40% are coming in. Uh, and and are the, uh, do you have any sort of numbers around how they're staying with the organisation and how you're leading them through the ascension uh, into management positions as well? So, yes, we do have uh, some data around that and we actually have a few programs that we've put in place to support that talent to kind of understand how they not necessarily show up at work but how they bring their full selves to to the organization so I think as we started to unpick the conversation of race at Thompson Reuters there was the barrier of sometimes line managers not feeling like they want to give real-time feedback so they would someone would get feedback at the end of the year for something that they did in March of, of at the start of the year which they're then not able to adjust or change for um, and it was because the manager felt that if I spoke up or was, I don't know, uh, overly 
aggressive to the individual in in saying that you did something wrong and I wasn't happy. The individual may feel that there's a level of racism going on or bias. But actually, when we spoke to the employees that might be on the receiving end of that conversation, they really wanted to have that real time feedback so they can make the necessary changes that they wanted to do in their in their day to day work. Um, and so I think there's that kind of stuff that needs to happen in organizations, like real conversations around what is different? How does that show up in the workplace? How do you manage that if you're line managing someone from diverse communities? But then also, where do we, what do we want to look like in the future and kind of really driving that forward? And, and when we've sort of come back to the early stage businesses as well, uh, the culture and, and attracting talent really matters. And and if you're a relatively small organisation, of course, real-time feedback's a, a minute-by-minute reality because they've got to work so quickly and, and so in such a dynamic fashion. Looking at the uh, context of digital talent and where we are now, what we're going to need, particularly in financial services, and we think a lot about clearly data, data scientists, we think about cyber, um, there has been some concern voiced about not having the talent that we need tomorrow. And Sean, in your context of, of thinking about the industry as a whole, are there particular things we could be doing to attract that talent? I mean, does that talent want to work in financial services if it could go somewhere much sexier? <laughs> I like to think fintech is quite sexy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sexy, actually, but I might be in a moment. <laughs> um, I think, you know, let's again bring this back to the diversity topic here, that 19% of the digital tech workforce um, is female. You know, 19%. It's not enough. So if we look at the skills and talent squeeze, which is something I talk about constantly, we're constantly badgering government to get more of those tier two visas approved so we can sit there and bring that talent in because it isn't here. But we have to sit there and say, well, surely we can also look from within. Why are we not retraining? Why are we not promoting this to to young girls at school, to young women out of university? Why can't we not sit there and teach people to code? Um, You know, how many 40-somethings are bored of their jobs and sit there, but still very bright people? And instead of retaining them in the workforce and financial services, they leave to do something completely different. You know, instead of sitting there saying, look, there is another option here, you go and retrain digital. So yes, obviously we are looking to outside our borders. Over 40% of people working in UK fintech are from overseas. So that's 28% uh, out of the EU and 14% elsewhere. Um, so we already tracked a huge amount from overseas, but constantly people are sitting there saying, I have a skills and talent gap. And this is not this is a global problem. It's not just a UK problem. But I then come back and maybe it's with my female hat on, sitting there saying, well, if only 19% people working are female, then at least let's start there. Yeah, we're sitting there. I mean, you can imagine that's 31% in theory of people we should be going after. Um, you know, 15% of computing graduates last year were women. Um, That was down from 16% the year before. So this is not going in the right direction. We are not inspiring people at an early stage. Even when you go into primary schools now, you can see the boys go off and do coding computer science. The girls are encouraged to do drama and dance. How can we possibly sit there and have a nation that's digitally enabled? And we're already lacking the talent as it is. But if we're not inspiring those people and those young girls to sit there at three, four, five years old, sit there and look at those sciences and see this an important piece, we're going to continue to have a skills and talent gap. And we are missing out a huge part of the population here. No, no, I I definitely agree. Um, I think one of the things that we've been fortunate to do as a business is we've we've run coded dojos um, and basically done, we did a global footprint of of, uh, over two days where basically we started in the UK and went around the world basically hosting coded dojos, inviting only girls in to learn about coding and learning about what a role in tech would mean for them. And I think that's something that's definitely key that we need to do as a society, but also in big business, because I think there's a level of people not understanding what we do 
today and how their various skills can align with what we do today. Because I think everyone kind of looks at, oh, it's a big organization. I have to wear a suit. I have to wear a, you know, a nice dress and I'm going to go and sit, like a, sit at a desk. And that's kind of where the story ends. And I think one of the things that I'm fortunate to be a part of, which is rocking your teens, is we do look at how young people can understand what the world of work is like. And we have two different ways of communicating with them to make sure that they understand that there are opportunities that they're not aware of. So I think it's, uh, you know, for every child that's born right now, the roles that they may be doing in the next 20 years don't even exist. Mm -hmm. So for that fact, you have to kind of keep reminding people that just because you, you've studied maths or because you've studied drama doesn't mean that you need to go down a set route. You can diversify, you can have a career portfolio, I think they call it now, and, and really kind of make sure that you utilise your interpersonal skills to get to get you where you need to go. And also all the things that you'll acquire along your journey. So, you know, I, I started off in drama, you know, so I wasn't necessarily the most computer savvy, but then I got a job and I learned how to use a computer. And I think those are the things that people need to remind themselves about and tell their children and encourage their children to kind of diversify and do their skills. And I think it's really interesting, this point about tell the children. One thing I would love every listener on this podcast to do is when it's going to share this content and actually this episode with uh, some children and girls coming through school, particularly, but actually not just on the gender side. But it's interesting, we've, we've had um, the CEO, or we will be having on this series, the CEO of Code First Girls. And they've got this ambition to, to teach 20,000 girls to code by 2020, which is, uh, you know, and supporting all of those initiatives to get right the way down to grassroots level for that, for that reason as well. So I think there's a really good moment to turn to Cynthia and Robert for some research to support the discussion. In 2017, the Centre for American Entrepreneurship published a study on the founders of Fortune 500 businesses. 43% of the companies on the list were founded or co-founded by an immigrant or the child of an immigrant, and that number rose to 57% within the top 35 companies. A Recruitment International article cited that in 2016, only one in six school leavers that started a degree in computer science was female. In the same year, the total number of girls taking either ICT or computer science at GCSE level fell by 12%. Based on these figures, much more can be done to encourage women to enter the tech industry. The WISE campaign report, Core STEM Graduates 2017, provides us with fresh figures on women studying at graduate level. The number of women graduating in core STEM subjects has grown from just over 22,000 in 2015-16 to 22,340 in 2016-17. However, as the number of men graduating in these subject areas has grown more rapidly, the percentage of female graduates has dropped from 25% to 24%. A 2017 fintech census carried out by EY and industry body Innovate Finance shows that fintech is currently a male-dominated industry. On average, 70% of staff at the 245 fintech businesses surveyed were male, despite the fact that females make up 47% of the UK workforce. Again, it seems that there is much to be done to create a gender balance in the industry. Thank you, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the references and research can be found on our website, diversitypodcast.com. Remember, that's diversity with a C, not an S. You can also sign up for early notifications of future episodes. And please do follow us on Twitter at diversitypod. And you can find us on all good podcast channels. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a rating. It all helps promote the episodes. So clearly, culture plays a huge part in this. And the reality, of course, is that most organisations are arguably male-dominated. So what has to change 
in order to drive greater diversity? What, what we're seeing, Julia, you know, more recently is actually you know, the men are calling for change as well. They're fed up of sitting there, being in the office 16, 18 hours a day, not seeing their children Monday to Friday, traveling every single week. They want to be part of their family life. And this is something that they, I think they've always wanted, but they've always been slightly afraid of speaking out about. And we are now seeing organizations very much cater to that, to try and bring that cultural change, to try and change that dominance of I must be seen in the office. You know, we now have technology that allows agile working. And there are firms out there who are mandating their staff to work one day a week from home. Um, and that's amazing to give that opportunity there. And that's not sitting there and women thinking, well, if only I could do that, but I'm too afraid to be seen to be standing out as a working mother. You're actually seeing the men wanting to do it. They're talking about it. And companies realise that that's a really great way of retaining great talent. And is, and is that because people have been offering agile working and hot desking, all that sort of thing in the past and, and are offering the opportunity to work at home? Is, is that because people aren't taking it? I think that's right. You know, so sometimes we, we've seen the uh, it's being offered that slight pressure, maybe from a more old-fashioned boss who's sitting there saying, of course you can do it, but, you know, and sitting there, there's a slight pressure there, or maybe just a self-imposed pressure. If you mandate it, and, you know, I'm always against quotas with women, but you look at, you know, you look at countries like Norway who've put quotas in, it has changed that for the next generation. And I think if we don't mandate some of this change, you you are not going to change it for the next generation. And action is needed now. Um, that's why I say for my, for my business from fintech industry, I want to see more women out there. What a great opportunity. You can go and sit there, pick your kids up. You can work later on. Let's face it, you don't need to be in the office nowadays. Most people aren't anyway. You know, so we have to sit there and we have to have role models that actually do the juggling, do the work-life balance and actually show that you can have a job within financial services, within fintech. That actually means you can juggle that family balance. But say it's not just about the women; it's the men as well. You're, you're nodding along there, Jeff. Yes, so- I am. I, I think also that you know previously we had a lot of men that did work flexibly but didn't tell anybody. So you just know that so and so was not in the office on a Friday or wouldn't be there on a Tuesday. But there was no kind of real dialogue as to why he wasn't around. It was just oh, he's not here. Um, and I think now I know for our business we're getting those leaders to say actually I work from home because I want to go and play golf or I need to go and pick up my my kids and getting them to share those stories because I think that way as well means that people then feel like oh if he does it I can do it and also as we, I think we were talking earlier on about the millennials piece and I think also they definitely want to work flexibly and they want to make sure that they have a good work-life balance now they are the generation that were in effect sometimes raised by their grandparents because their parents were working so hard to give them the horse riding lessons, the piano lessons, the banner lessons, the judo classes. So they were kind of always back-to-back activities with grandma or granddad and mum and dad are off making the finances. And I think they kind of grew up and decided, actually, I want to be present to my life and my journey and make sure that I actually get to see the world, to get to experience new things. And I think as organisations look to attract that talent, we have to be mindful that, you know, just paying them well is not going to keep them in the organisation. We have to make sure they're able to have that balance and that and that uh, level of freedom to live life. And I think that's the point that we kind of, I think we're heading to now. Everyone wants to kind of live their life and have good experiences and and travel, see the world, spend time with their family, get to know their kids in in, the, in a good way. And I think sometimes, you know, having to be at your desk nine to five, Monday to Friday, does does stop that so I think you know kind of companies looking at that and I know that for us we have a flexible working culture from the time I've worked in worked in the organization we had flexi time which meant you get a day back every month and now actually we've moved a bit beyond that and it was some of our businesses everyone gets two days to work from home as well so I think it's an evolving landscape and your culture plays a big part of that and we talk about uh 
quotas and mandating, et cetera. I thought one of the things that I think that's been very interesting to observe over the last kind of couple of years is the number of awards for women in business and the number of lists, et cetera. And, and Charlotte, I obviously turn to you and you're, and you're smiling because, um, you know, Innovate Finance has led the charge in that in terms of finding the women in fintech uh, that have been existed somewhere around the industry and putting them together in a power list. What are your plans for that this year? Um, you know, that's correct, Julia. We, we saw the opportunity of highlighting some of the women who, who were talking the talk, walking the walk, and just getting on with running their businesses every day. But we wanted to bring them together to sit there and share their best experiences. Uh, that has been an incredibly successful uh, power list we've put together. So successful that last year on the power list, we had 370 women. <laughs> so we've is, now got... Did it start with an intention of 100? Was that, was that's that, correct. Was that the original plan? That's correct, remember, yeah. yeah. So now 370 poses a slightly different issue. At what point do we sit there stopping this being the power list, but also wanting to celebrate all these great women working in fintech. Um, so we probably will have to bring in some categories um, of uh, you know, maybe top 10 within the verticals, maybe have top 10 VCs, if there are top 10 female VCs out there. Um, you know, if maybe, you're there, we want to hear from <laughs> we you. Want, we definitely want to hear Step from up. you because there's uh, not enough of you. Um, yeah, and, looking, and looking at some of that, but also continuing this as a program that we meet more, more regularly. Women you know, very much enjoy meeting other women within business. It's amazing the chat, chit chat you have around that table. And that's something I've always encouraged, to do, even if it's just for drinks or something casual. We now have, you know, we had 40 women um, meeting, meeting up in our uh, women in fintech. Uh, working group to sit there and share experiences, but also to share some action, some amazing ideas coming out of that that we wouldn't have thought of. So we're leveraging those women to sit there and help that change the next generation. Um, and we're going to make that a much more regular program, get people around. And Julia, we will be calling on you soon. With pleasure, with pleasure. And I'm delighted to be on the list, actually. I'm just kind of very honoured to, to to be involved, certainly. And and uh, I, I, I think there's enormous value in the power of positive role modelling. And so um, thinking about rocking your teens, uh, do we need more role models? Definitely, we need more role models, uh, you know, for young people, if they can see it, they can be it. And I think one of the things that we're definitely committed to within Thompson Reuters, but funnily within Rocking Your Teens as a side project that I'm doing, is kind of finding those individuals that are doing different kinds of roles. So we're talking to someone who's a creative innovator. Not sure what that means, but he kind of got up and spoke to the young people and explained what his role was and what he did in his working life. And that led to them thinking, oh, maybe I can go and do that role. And I think there's that also the conversation of, uh, especially for men, what does it mean to be a man in today's society? So how do we make sure that you are present for your family, that you are, you know, thinking about your career, but also thinking about your wife's career or, or your partner's career and kind of really balancing that in a unique way. So I think we need role mod models in that respect, but also role models from a career standpoint as well. And so are you calling for role models to step up? I am up? calling for role models you to step up to make sure that their voice is counted and that they're actually inspiring those coming behind them as well. Wonderful. And and again, a call out to uh, to everybody to share the podcast with young children and particularly girls who, who think that maybe they can't get a career in fintech, they clearly can. And also to those potential role models out there. Um, you're both uh, incredibly busy people and the fact that you've taken the time, I think you're role models in your own right. So thank you both, Charlotte and Jeffrey. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto-Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. 
To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity Podcast, remember to give us a rating or review. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.